of heights to the depths of the sea. You've been at battle a long time, and now that you're getting older, we can't have you, David, going out with us into battle and getting faint and you know, uh, getting hypoglycemic out there on the field, right? <laughs> Whatever was happening there, um, his men wanted him to, to, to not be out there anymore. Every creature's unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Even a great man of God grows old. As the years went on, David became unable to fight as he once did. In this battle against the Philistines, David's life was endangered when he grew faint in a battle against the descendants of Goliath. Israel faced the challenge of what they would do when they saw weakness in their leader. Since it was a weakness that could be understood, which was David's increasing frailty in old age, they should rally around their leader and supply what he can't. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 21 of 2 Samuel. And this is one of the corruptions that I wanted to tell you about in the text. That should be Merab, M-E-R-A-B. That should be Merab, because Merab, she was a daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholophite. She was the one who was married to Barzillai, not Michal. And so David delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them all on the hill before the Lord. And so they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. So again, um, the Mephibosheth mentioned in verse 8 is from Rizpah, one of Saul's concubines. You can put in your margin Second uh, Samuel chapter 3, verse 7. It'll, it'll tell you that very plainly. And... Um, and concerning Michal, mentioned in verse 8, she is supposed to be Merab, uh, as I said. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 23, it says, Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So she didn't have any children, but her sister Merab did. And it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 19, it says, But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, as a wife. Do you follow what happened there? So this is just one of those small little details of the corruption in the text that occurred. Don't let it throw you. But that should be Merab and not um, Michal. And this discrepancy, actually, um, if you have an NIV in your Bible tonight, if you have an NIV with you, 
you'll notice that it will say Mereb in that verse. In Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 21, verse 8, it'll actually say Mereb because the Septuagint and many other Hebrew manuscripts, the majority of them have Mereb in there in place instead of Michal. So we have every reason to believe, and it makes sense because she was not married to Adriel, the, um, the Maholophite. But by David doing this, what he was doing is following a law called lex talionis. Anybody heard that? It's Latin, and it means an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In fact, I think that even on, I've actually seen gang members or have tattoos, lex talionis. They think that's really cool because, you know, it's not cool enough to put it in English. You know, but if you put it in Latin, all of a sudden you're like, dude, you are so cool. You know? Lex Talionis. You know, and somehow that, you know, that, wow, man, that guy is really something. I I get chills just being around him because he's got Latin on his shoulder. But Lex Talionis, it literally means Lex is law and Talionis is retaliation. So that's what it means. It's the law of retaliation. And God did have this as part of the way their judicial system was set up in Exodus 21. If a man fight and hurt a woman with child, and this is Exodus 21, verse 22, if, a man, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give her life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man strikes the eye out of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of the eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his female or male servant, he shall let him go free for the, 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 the tooth's sake. And so they, they set up laws that if you hurt somebody, you're going to get hurt in, in like manner. And I often wonder how our penal code would be, our laws today, and um, that's why, I, and some of you may not like this, but that's why I, I don't have a problem with the death penalty. I don't. And I don't make apology to that. Why? Because the person has an opportunity to receive Christ. Some people don't even get that opportunity. Because if you know you're going to the lethal injection or whatever, what does that do? That, that, that puts fear in people. Then they're they're, they're going to think a lot harder about killing somebody in cold blood I mean, it's different if it's involuntary manslaughter, you know, but, but if it's murder, premeditated murder, you're going to pay for that crime. I often wonder how things would be better if, in our country if we had uh, penal codes that said, you know what, if, if you steal from somebody, you're going to repay it five times, you know, back. I think things would, and they stuck by it, things would be a lot different today. But now, crime does pay, and criminals have learned this. They can do anything, and very rarely will they go to jail. Very rarely, most of the time, they just get their hands slapped. Don't do it again, Johnny. Stop that. Now go back to your cell with the cable television and the three square meals and the air conditioning and the heat. Oh, and the the free education, I forgot that. So that's what David did. Lex Talionis, he, he allowed that to happen. It says now in verse 10, Now Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth, and she spread it for herself on the rock. Boy, I'm running out of time. <sighs> from the beginning of the harvest, which is around April, until the late rains poured on them from heaven, which is sometime in October. So we're talking about six months. So these bodies of these seven men are hanging, 
and she is spreading a sackcloth, and she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was customary for them to take the bodies down before the sun went down, but um, she did not. She kept the bodies up. Perhaps it was a way of, of maybe being angry about what happened, about the way the Gibeonites had done. Maybe that was just an open display to shame everybody for what had happened. Maybe it was a shame for David, too. David, why would you allow this? Why didn't you inquire of the Lord and seek another option here? But uh, And again, I'm, I'm just making things up here. I don't really know. But she allowed the bodies of these men, as they're decomposing from the noose, or for however they're hanging them up, and for six months... And she's watching them. She's outside with, you know, and she's watching these things happen. And David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. And so David went and he took, and this is just the compassion of David. There wasn't really a mean bone in David. David was just trying to be obedient to the Lord, but he didn't quite follow through as well as I think he probably could have. Because he could have inquired of the Lord again, but he didn't. And God seemed to have allowed this. It's not, I, don't, I don't know if God was really pleased, but he allowed this. And it did quell the, 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 the problem between the Gibeonites and, and the children of Israel. And God brought rain. He brought it back. It was a done deal. But notice what David did. When he saw the, the love and the compassion of Rizpah, David went and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan. That was the only city on the western side of the uh, Jordan River of the Decapolis, of the ten cities. That was the only one on the west side. And so where the Philistines had hung Jonathan and Saul up, and after the Philistines had struck down Saul and Gilboa, Verse 13, so he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. And by that time, I'm sure, they were badly decomposed. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin, and Zelah in the tomb of Kish, his father. And so they performed all that the king commanded. And notice this. This is really uh, interesting. It says, and after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. I don't know if it was his perfect will, um, his, the method, I don't know that it was the perfect method. I don't know. But God was appeased. Because now the, the, the Gibeonites were, um, justice was given, and God seemed to be okay with that. And so that's where we just have to leave it, right? And so I will. <laughs> so going on in verse 15, it says, and now we get into these, this last battle, and I'll make this quick because we just got a few more minutes here. In verse 15, it says that when the Philistines uh, were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. And, and then Ishbi Binab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the, the giant, the word there in the original language is Rapha. Okay, this is one of the giants. And in fact, these giants go all the way back to the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6. There's this really neat uh, chronology, or um, not, uh, not, not a chronology, but a genealogy. Uh, it's a rough one, but it shows where these men came from and how they're related to Anak and Anakim and, and even Goliath and his family. Um, and we don't have time to go in that tonight. But it says that the Ishbibinab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, that's seven and a half pounds, who was bearing a new sword, he thought he would kill David. 
And so, but, but Abishai, who was uh, Joab's brother and also David's nephew, right? The son of Zeruiah came to David's aid, and he struck the Philistine, and he killed him. And then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out any more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. David, you're getting long in the tooth. You've been at battle a long time, and now that you're getting older, we can't have you, David, going out with us into battle and getting faint and you know, uh, getting hypoglycemic out there on the field. Right? <laughs> Whatever was happening there, um, his men wanted him to... to to not be out there anymore. And it says it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, which is another town. And then Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. He was one of the sons of Rapha. And again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jair Origim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath. And First Chronicles, you might want to put in your uh, Bible there, First uh, Chronicles chapter 20, verse 5, because in that verse, it gives us the name of Goliath's brother. His name was Lami, Lami, L-A-H-M-I. And so this man named El-Nathan, El-Hanan, I'm sorry, he killed Goliath's brother, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And yet again, there was war at Gath, which is one of the other six, uh, one of the other five Philistine cities. Where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet. So this man, he doesn't actually have a name. The Bible doesn't mention him. So science and people have given him a name. And his name is Hexadactylus. Hexadactylus. And that's just a condition, actually, a medical condition. It's a... a, a, um, um, it is a, a, a mutation of a, of a gene... Uh, and, and for some reason, this gene was passed along for this, this family. It was uh, basically, a, I, I use this phrase, and I, I like to because it's fun. This whole family was like a genetic nightmare, the Goliath family, because they all had like, you know, they were just huge people. They were very tall, very big, you know, and so this gene or this condition was passed along. Um, whether it was gigantism or whether it pr- produced itself or manifested itself with six fingers and six toes. But it says that he was also born of the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, or Shimea, excuse me, his name is really Shammah. Remember when uh, Samuel came to Jesse and, he's, and he was going to anoint one of his sons as king? Well, his third son, third from the oldest, was Shammah. That's who this is. The Bible calls him Shemaiah, but it's really Shammah. And so this young man, David's brother, is actually the one who took out this guy. Um, and, so, and then finally in verse 22 it says, These four were born to the giant, meaning born to Rapha in Gath, and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. By the hand of his servants. So very interesting as we look into the Philistines. But um, it appears that um, this giant, this Rapha, he was not only Goliath's father and the progenitor, evidently, of these four men, including Goliath, but it is also possible that Goliath and Lami were born to this Raph, this, this giant, 
and that Ishbi Binab, Saf, and Hexadactylus, that was the name they gave to the science people have given to him, it's possible that those were Goliath's sons. It's really hard to tell whether they were all born of the giant. Indirectly, they were all born of the giant. They were all a mess. They were all in need of salvation, which they didn't receive because they were bent on destruction. And so, um, but it's interesting here as, you know, as we look at the themes in this chapter, just to close up here, just the importance of keeping vows and promises. And David, you know, just keeping and, and allowing, you know, when he questioned the Lord about this, this, this famine in the land and God answering them because it's a vow that was broken, David. It was a vow that was broken back when Joshua came across the Jordan to get in the promised land. There was a promise, a vow that was made to those men. And now your predecessor, Saul, has uh, reneged on that and killed those men. And there has to be an atonement. There has to be justice here. And nobody did anything. And God says, oh, I'll get your attention. (laughs) So he brings a, a famine. And finally David inquires. And God tells him. And finally, it's rectified. But David keeps his own personal vow. Do you realize how sticky this was? It was very sticky. (laughs) Because David had to hand over seven of Saul's descendants. And the only one that was left was Jonathan's son. Or, I'm sorry, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He's the only one who survived. And he survived because David made a vow. This whole thing is intertwined with promises and vows and God holding them accountable and David wanting to be truthful to his vow and, and walking that thin line. Do you see what a thin line he was walking? And, and that, that's sometimes the mess we get ourselves into when we make vows, especially if we don't intend on keeping them. So what's the point of the story tonight? As we look at this, let's be faithful to be truthful to our vows, to the promises that we make, to everyone. It would be better for us not to make a promise. I've had people tell me, well, I promise to do this, I promise to do that, and they don't come through. And I've even made those promises. I promise to do this. I've fallen into that myself. But you know what? I'm learning not to make promises. Just don't make a promise. And people don't like that. They want to pin you down. Are you going to be here? Yeah, man, I'll be there. I promise, but I swear to God. And God's going, no, don't do that. You're going to bring some serious trouble on yourself. See, we we throw it around like it's nothing, but God takes it very seriously. So I think we ought to, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we take it seriously? Everybody nod their head because you should. And so let's take those things seriously and don't promise. Don't make vows that you don't intend to keep. There's no, no harm, no foul. I would rather somebody get mad at me because I didn't swear to them than for me to swear to them and then me not follow through. Because I don't have control over my life, do you? I mean, most of the time. I mean, do you have complete control over your time and everything that happens in your life? Do you have complete control? None of us do. So why should I make empty promises that I, I don't, I'm not sure if I can keep? Because I could get in a car accident, I could have a flat tire, and I can't make my meeting downtown with somebody at 3 o'clock. I don't have the, I don't have the capacity. God can be on time. God can make promises. He can make promises that are unconditional. And he can even make conditional promises, which is even really scary. If you do this, then I'll do this. And there's other times where he says, well, I'm going to do this regardless of your performance. Just sit down and take a break. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it. Read it and weep. Watch what I'm going to (laughs) do. And I love that about God. What's the other thing? It's just fortitude in difficult times. 
you know, as David is finishing off these final giants, him and his, him and his brothers and his nephews, as they're finishing off these giants, these, these men of renown, as he finishes them off, he's, he's enduring to the end. He's, he's going at it with fortitude. And, and our life is not meaningless. Everything ought to have a purpose behind it. Everything that we do, make sure that your life is purposeful, that it's not just happenstance. I'm going to wake up and I don't know what I'm going to do. Have a plan. Or, or if you don't have a plan, let God make your plan for the day. And be willing to take your to-do list And be willing for God to interrupt any one of those things. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen where you have your list and God says, ah, nope, 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 ah, just those two things you do today and then rest the rest of the day. Really? Yeah. But no, we got to do all 20 of them. And by the end of the day, we're so frazzled, we're angry, we're looking at people like, I could have done a 21st thing if it wasn't for you. You know, we just always driven by to-do lists. Got to do it. And God's like, just do these three things and you'll be blessed. These three things. There's a reason I want you to do just these three things. The other stuff is not big of a deal. Just do these three things, Rob. Can you handle that? Oh, yes, I can do that. Oh. In Acts 14, it says, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? I'm finding that as I await my Savior to come for me, for you, I'm waiting And in the process, is it easy? It is not easy, is it? It takes, it's going to take a lot. And we're going to go through and we're going to get bumps and we're going to have bruises and we might even get a bloody nose here and there. But you know what? Through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom of God. But Paul exhorts Timothy, and we'll end here. He exhorts Timothy, and he says, You therefore, Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, because no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And that's the way we need to be as well. And I'll leave you with this one verse. Just to encourage you. Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, gave this wonderful benediction. He says, Now may the God of peace, and I say this to you tonight, may the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you apart completely, and may your whole heart, your soul and body, your spirit, your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Aren't you encouraged by that? Be encouraged by that. He is able to do it, and he loves you, and he wants to do it through you. And so let's, let's stand and pray. And um, Father, we just thank you for this night, and we Lord, we do want to take the vows, the promises, the oaths very seriously, Lord. The vows that husbands make toward their wives and wives make toward their husbands, Lord. The promises that we make to family and friends. Lord, help us to be careful about those things. And, and Lord, just to not make those promises and just do the best we can to let our yes be yes and no be no. And, Lord, give us uh, endurance, Lord, to run this race that we are in right now, Lord. It's, it's, a, it's a tough race. And many people in this room and many people online and many people will hear this later. Lord, they've gone through heavy, heavy difficulties. 
They've struggled, Lord. They've been crying. They've been hurt. They've been going through a lot. Lord, would you please encourage and strengthen them, their faith? And so we thank you for tonight, Lord. And I thank you for my friends here who have been so patient with me tonight. And just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes our time for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.